Welcome to the Welfare Culture Podcast, where we talk about all things Indigenous wellness. Hello, relatives. What's up? Welcome to episode four of the Welfare Culture Podcast. Today, we're bringing you our very first interview. Yes, we're very excited for this episode. And our first interview is with a dear friend and a mentor of ours. And she's the executive director of the Native Wellness Institute, which is a nonprofit organization that's based out of Portland, who's been doing wellness work in native country for 20 years and over. And I have the pleasure of sitting on the board with Jillian and many others that have been working in the wellness world in native country for a long time. And so we really felt that it was important that we kind of go back and, and show about how this wellness movement really started. And of course, as we always say, a part of our culture, wellness is our culture. But in, in our modern time, when our people realized that we needed to heal, and, and pinpoint historical trauma, this movement had came about. And we thought it was really important, especially the younger generation, to kind of hear about this. And I think that this is really going to be something that people might be studying in the future. This um, wellness movement that had, you know, have risen up in the late 70s, early 80s, and people were paving the way. And we've come a long way. And you'll hear that in this story. And Jeline was a part of that movement in the beginning of it. So she's going to tell about her participation and how this wellness movement started and how the Native Wellness Institute came about and why it came about and some of the work that we do today. So it's a very interesting conversation. We think that you all will enjoy this one very much. It gives us just a different insight that we don't often hear. This isn't stuff that you can find in textbooks and this isn't you know something you can find on YouTube. It's This information is just gems hidden out there amongst different native wellness people. And so that's why we're very excited for this very special episode. So when we recorded this episode, we had actually just finished our annual wellness camp, Youth Wellness Warrior Camp with the Native Wellness Institute, which we work at every year. And it's just an absolutely amazing event. And we were all seated in Jalene's house at the Native Wellness Institute headquarters in Gresham, Oregon. And there were some of our dear friends joined us around the table, Shailene, Kelly, and a few others. And so they were actually listening in on this conversation as well with Jalene. So with that, here goes our conversation with Jalene Joseph. So Jalene, thank you for joining us. If you could start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and how you became a part of this Native Wellness Movement. Well, um, first, I just want to thank both of you for um, having me on your show. <laughs> and um, I think it's really important, the history part. So my name is Jalene Joseph. Um, my Indian name is Donate, which means small woman. And I am an enrolled member of the White Clay people or Anainan people. And I've been the executive director of the Native Wellness Institute since 2005, and I was one of the founding um, people who founded it back in 2000. And so a little bit about how I got involved. So when I was 19, I was going to school at Arizona State University and was contacted by some friends of mine who were doing some work for this contractor um, for the Bureau of Indian Education. 
and they asked me to uh, do some research for them around substance abuse in Indian country. So as a student, that was like a perfect job. And so I was doing research for them. And then from that research, we started developing curriculum on helping our young people um, um, stay sober, basically. Helping our young people use their leadership skills so um, they wouldn't have to turn to alcohol for unhealthy coping mechanisms. And so that turned into um, asking me to go with their team into tribal communities. So when I was a freshman in college, I, I was doing consulting work, even though I didn't know what a consultant was, but that's what it was at the time. And we started traveling all over Indian country um, into the deep south, Alaska, Plains, Northwest, you know, all over the place working with high school students. And, you know, I wasn't that much older than them, but at the time, one of the things that we did at the end of like a, a weekend training or like a three-day training was to have them make a commitment to be drug and alcohol-free for this year that they were going to be on a student leader. And so um, that had a huge impact on me because one of the things that I would ask these young people would be, you know, who are your role models? And so this is back in the 80s, the mid, well, 84, 85, um, 86, kind of that area that I worked um, for this company. <clears throat> But one of the things that was common in each of the regions when I asked who their role models were was, guess what they would say? Guess who their role models were? Like, no matter what area we were in. Michael Jordan? Michael Jordan, no. Not me, no. Like, their answer was nobody. They would say that. They would say nobody. Like, and it just, like, like I... Like, I still remember that now. Like, it's just still so emotional now because it's like, whoa. And so that was profound to me. So at that moment, I decided that I was going to choose to be a positive role model because it doesn't matter if you choose to be a role model or not. Someone is always looking to you. And they don't always have to be younger. Sometimes they're older. So because some people say, oh, I don't want to be a role model. I don't care how I behave. But it, that doesn't matter. Someone is always looking to you. So from that point in my life, I wanted to be a positive role model. And so I started learning more about, um, you know, the reasons why our people drink. I started learning more about, you know, what is wellness? I learned first about wellness before I learned about what healing was. And then, so I continued to do this work. Into my second year in college, I continued to do this work. I continued to travel to different gatherings. And I remember, you know, as a 19-year-old, going to national conferences, national Indian conferences, like, well, I won't say the names, but national conferences where the only thing I remember about these gatherings was drunk people. I remember, I remember going into the hotel lobby and seeing drunk Native people everywhere, like literally passed out in the lobby, spilling over from the bar. Like at this first national conference I went to, I don't remember one workshop. I don't remember one keynote. <laughs> the only thing I remember about this conference was the amount of drunk people that I saw. I remember going to my hotel room and the hallways were lined with like beer bottles and whiskey bottles. And I was just like, whoa. And then I related that to the work that I was doing in tribal communities, you know, like, no wonder our young people were saying they didn't have any positive role models, <laughs> you know, and I didn't see a lot of positive role models either at, at this conference. 
And so, so this is still in the 1980s. And it's important to know that this was, this was on the heels of, you know, what was happening in the 1960s and 1970s with the civil rights movement. And then, and then how the, you know, the Indian civil rights movement was going down as well. And many of our people started looking at, you know, the civil rights movement, the Black Panthers and, you know, movements like that and saying, hey, what about our rights? Like, this is our land, you know, what about our rights? And so lots of things started changing during that time. We had the sobriety movement and that really um, got a hold in the 1970s. And that was very directly related to um, the cultural revitalization movement, you know, because policies and laws, federal laws were changing that, you know, we could practice our culture and it wasn't against the law. So those kind of went hand in hand. And then after the sobriety movement came the native wellness movement. And that really started in the 1980s. And so at the same time, when I was doing this work, I remember going to my first national native wellness conference. There was just like thousands of people there from all over Indian country. And they just gravitated towards it. And I gravitated towards it as well. And like my mentors, I saw them up there, you know, facilitating and doing these workshops. And I was a participant sitting in the audience and thinking to myself, that's what I want to do. I want to do that someday. And, you know, my background, I had... um, I had gone into community health education, which was kind of this very well-rounded, like, you know, wellness degree, if you will. And so these wellness conferences, they were positive. They were, like, culture-based. People were happy and, you know, and people loved that feeling, right? It, It was positive. And so after my first wellness conference, then I also attended my first, um, National Association of Adult Children of Alcoholics Conference. That was, they used to call that Nanakoa. And that's where I started learning about trauma. And, and that was critical because before we can really fully understand and grasp what native wellness is, we have to really understand about trauma, right? And so I started learning about trauma. And and now I'm, you know, I'm graduated. I'm, you know, working for this tribal health organization. I'm still going into communities without even like having words to call it out. Like I'm seeing trauma play out everywhere. Right. And then I'm starting to learn about trauma. And I remember I used to lay in bed at night, like with my eyes wide open thinking, you know, what are the solutions? Like how, how can we help our people to heal? Like this is what needs to happen. So I, I had that a strong understanding from a young age um, about healing. And then, so from that time, you know, my early 20s until now, so I over 30 years have been doing this kind of work, I continue to learn more. Like even now, I continue to learn more about the impacts of trauma. I continue to learn more about the solution to that, which is healing and strategies how to do that and how we can um, really use the teachings of native wellness, you know, to help us to heal and then to help us live in balance. I think there's the the basic definition of, you know, native wellness is living in balance between our physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual well-being. That's kind of like the short answer. And I think there's many aspects under each one of those. And And for me, you know, my personal motto that spills over, you know, into my work as well that relates to what native wellness is, is about 
you know, being positive, being productive, and being proactive. So um, we can look at each of those, you know, our physical well-being, our mental well-being, our emotional well-being, and our spiritual well-being, and think about all the teachings that are under each of those, right? Whether it's um, living by our cultural values, um, whether it's about, you know, doing doing things for our physical well-being, whether it's, you know, drinking water, you know, being um, physically active, you know, getting good rest, things like that. Um, and then the other areas, you know, keeping in balance with our with our mental well-being and being positive and and that's kind of where that being positive, productive, and proactive comes in. It's it's being of service to your people. It's being the best person that you can. It's about making your ancestors proud. It's about making sure that you're giving back and you're paving a way for the future generations coming behind us. Like, and there's so many more things that that to me mean, you know, what native wellness means. You know, it's about helping to lift our people up and not tearing them down. It's about choosing to be that positive role model. You know, it's about doing things um, not just for yourself, but doing things for each other. And, th and that's that, that goes back to our traditional values, right? It's like we live in a society now that's such about the me, 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 or the I, I, I. But when we look at our traditional values, it's so much about the we, right? And, and sometimes... You know, we get confused living in, in, in society because it's so much about I. So that's part of what Native wellness to me means is like thinking about others as well, you know. Well, Jolene, I just wanted to thank you for your time today and for uh, sharing your valuable knowledge and information with us. We learn so much from you all the time. And so um, it was very important for us to have you be our first guest that we're interviewing. So I just want to thank you for your time. I'm wondering if you could help our listener understand the degree to which wellness is embedded in Native cultures. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, we talk about this Native wellness movement starting in the 1980s but but really it started you know thousands of years before that and I think the you know the more we learn about our cultural values and our tribal histories then we better understand that oh wow like our ancestors lived in balance and does that mean that they lived a perfect life and they never had trauma no they they, they had trauma they did not live perfect lives but they had protocols and practices in place to help themselves and to help each other live in balance. And I think that's important because when we when we go through life and we may struggle or, you know, um, find life challenging or whatever, like we can always go back and think about, you know, the protocols and practices that were in place by our ancestors that helped them live in balance, you know? So it's kind of like the answers are there and it's because of trauma, right? It's because of the impacts of colonization that may have made some of us, you know, forget those things or we think we forget those things, but really we just have to remember. We have to remember. And we we can do that in a variety of ways, right? We can, we can talk to elders, we can read books, um, we can pray, we can like ask our ancestors for the answers. Like there's all these things that we can do to help better understand those practices and protocols. And then the next, the next step is like to take the healthy risks to integrate those protocols and practices into our lives. 
So that's another thing that colonization did was, you know, brought a lot of shame around that. And, you know, sometimes our people are embarrassed to speak their language or they're embarrassed to do a cultural practice, right? Because that's not because that's not the norm. And that's why in our work, we use that term taking healthy risks. And a healthy risk is, you know, doing something that you normally don't do. It's uh, doing something that's going to step out of your comfort zone. It's doing something that's going to help your growth and development. That term is so important. And then to take action, to take healthy risks are so important. Because when we talk about wellness, um, it could be a healthy risk for someone not to drink alcohol for one week, right? Or it might be a healthy risk for someone to go to a language class, or it might be a healthy risk for someone to dress in regalia for the first time, you know? So all those those things are important to better understanding Native wellness and then integrating those into your life. I've heard you talk before about the progress that we've made in Native communities over the past few decades. And I know that a lot of your work has been what I would call successful in creating healing, creating wellness. And I'm wondering, what do you see as some of the biggest wellness challenges that we have made great progress in in Native communities? And then follow that up with, what do you foresee as some of the future challenges that we'll be predominantly addressing? Mm-hmm. Well, one, you know, I talked about my early work of doing substance abuse research and then substance abuse prevention. Um, and then I talked about, you know, going to my first national conference and that's all I remember is alcohol. So we know that alcohol certainly has had a grasp on our people. Um, and that was an intentional, that was intentional, right? Like, Um, I call it chemical warfare. So when alcohol was given to our people um, intentionally, um, that continues to have a a hold on our people. So, however, today when you go to national conferences, that's not the norm. You don't see alcohol everywhere. Um, When you go to other tribal gatherings, whether it's a powwow or other kind of socials, whereas in the past, in the 70s and 80s, like, alcohol was the norm. Like that's not the norm today. In fact, it's quite the opposite. Like, um, the, you know, the 49s after the power, like you don't see those anymore, like you did in the seventies and eighties and somewhat even into the nineties. So that's a huge change for our people. You see, and, and around that same topic of alcohol, you see more of our people going to treatment and living a life of sobriety and and being proud of that. Like you don't have to hide that anymore. So we still have a long ways to go, but there's been lots of changes in that area. And it's, and it's not just alcohol. There's other things, right? There's other challenges in our communities, um, but it's people learning more about trauma and how it impacts their behaviors and then choosing to do something about it. So for example, other movements, if you will, that have happened um, are like around food. And that's another one that's changing where people aren't going to bring donuts and pastries and all that kind of stuff at meetings, right? I mean, that still happens a lot, but it's starting to change, right? And again, that goes back to you know, taking a healthy risk to make that change, to change work work norms, to change family norms, to change community norms. Like that's in part how change happens, right? So that's an area that I see changing. Um, 
And then there's other, you know, like the um, a most recent movement, like the Me Too movement, and then the Native Me Too movement. So really looking at um, how, you know, sexual assault and domestic violence has impacted Indian country and Indian women in particular, the MMIW movement and, you know, other things like that. And again, that that directly correlates to the healing because when we heal, we find our voice and we use it. So again, that is also related to taking that healthy risk. You know, this evening we heard a speaker at an MMIW event say, you know, I ride a loud motorcycle, you know, and, and that relates to me because I'm tired of being quiet. You know, like that says a lot. And for a lot of our women, um, that's a common story. So I think that's another movement that is taking hold and people are standing up and they're, um, they're calling out and they're calling in men and other, you know, perpetrators that have, that have hurt them, you know, and by, by those women taking that healthy risk in doing that, they're helping other women to heal because oftentimes when we tell our stories, we're helping other people to heal too. Maybe people that haven't found their voice yet, um, and aren't able to use their voice to share, they still hear when they hear, you know, someone else's story. So when the Native Wellness Movement started in the 1980s, um, the University of Oklahoma out of Norman w was the, I guess, the catalyst to make this happen. And they started <clears throat> going out into tribal communities. It started with some communities in Nevada that received some government funding um, to do some wellness work, really. And so at the time, the health promotions program at the University of Oklahoma was kind of the only one at the time doing that kind of work. And so it started there. So the university was instrumental in these big gatherings that I had mentioned before with thousands of people. And that kept on going, you know, through the 90s. And so, and then what happened was people caught this, you know, the they caught the spirit of these gatherings. And so people started doing their own wellness gatherings in their communities or regional gatherings, and which was really the intent of, you know, these larger gatherings. And so in 2000, many of us that were involved in that movement um, wanted to break away from the university, um, not because of anything happened, but because we wanted um, to help our people heal the way we wanted, you know, without the, you know, university's um, eye over it, I guess you could say, yeah, guidelines and all of that kind of stuff, because they weren't always, they didn't always understand, we felt. And so we broke off and we started our own organization. At first, we called it the Native Wellness and Healing Institute. That was in 2000. And um, people started like calling us for clinic appointments and things like that because they were getting mixed up what we were and what we were about. So we dropped the word healing and shortened it just to Native Wellness Institute. So in 2005, I became the executive director. We moved our headquarters out of Oklahoma and we really started focusing on both aspects of wellness and healing, you know, with the intent that our people have to understand um, the lasting impacts of colonization and how that impacts our current day behaviors, whether it's um, unhealthy relationships, chronic negativity, um, you know, being a chaos junkie, all those kinds of things. Our people had to understand that first and do things to let those 
emotions and behaviors go, really that's what healing is, right? Is becoming whole physically, mentally, emotionally, and spiritually. And then what wellness is, is integrating the concepts to, to keep that going, to sustain that, right? And so I think what sets our work apart is that we do focus on that healing and we're very, we're very good at it. And we, we're, we're okay if people cry or we're okay if, you know, people do that because we've done our own healing work. And we know that to do this kind of work, we do have to do our own healing work and understand it doesn't mean that we have to be perfect and none of us are, but we have to be moving forward in our healing journeys, you know, especially if we're going to um, motivate or inspire or provide those opportunities for others. So our work then is we can't heal people, but we can provide opportunities for healing. And that's what healers do. And, you know, everybody that works with us is, is a healer. And, and what, and again, it doesn't mean we heal people. It means that we provide opportunities for healing and it means that we've done our own work so we can better facilitate that with others. That that's what healers do. And so Again, that's that's what I strongly feel um, what sets our work apart from other people. And so early on, we chose some main areas that we wanted to focus on. And we didn't want to duplicate services that other agencies were doing. So we wanted to focus on youth leadership development, adult leadership development. We wanted to focus on healthy relationships because in our decades of work, we found that so many of our people were in unhealthy relationships. We wanted to focus on wellness in the workplace because, again, what we found was so many of our workplaces were not were unhealthy. Um, and then we wanted to focus on helping um, kind of like the group in between a young person and in between an adult. And so we developed this life skills curriculum, you know, to help that area. And then um, we also focused on designing specific programs for communities, you know, whether it was around, um, you know, grief and loss or, you know, things like that. And so we, we do that as well. We design specific, you know, healing programs for communities. And so how we do our work is we provide um, regional trainings where people come to us and then we also go into communities to provide specific training for them. And another area that we focused on was providing training of trainers. So we know that we can't be everywhere and do everything. And we know that a, a critical piece is helping communities to help themselves. And so we offer training of trainers where we teach people how to use our curriculum and then, um, you know, provide them with the assistance of them providing the services, you know, to their own people. So we do a combination of all of that. And so some of our kind of marquee events every year, like you mentioned, we have our summer Native Youth Wellness Warrior Camp, you know, that we just finished. And that has continued to grow and grow and grow. And what we what we know is that when we see adults acting out their trauma in communities, whether it's through violence, whether it's through chronic negativity, whether it's through bullying or all of that, um, it trickles down and our young people do the same behaviors, right? So we know that the answer to trauma is healing. And so again, I think one of one of the reasons why our, our youth gatherings are, are so successful is because we focus on that healing piece. And so in this particular, the Wellness Warrior Camp, we're teaching them tools and skills and protocols to live a life of balance. And so we, we eat 
as traditionally as we can, you know, with elk meat and buffalo meat and salmon and clams and oysters and, you know, pine nuts and cranberries and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So for some of the participants, that's their first time, like even eating something like that, right? We only serve them water and you know, for that, for some people, that's a new thing. Just drinking water is something as simple as that. So we intentionally do that to give them that experience, you know, to let their DNA taste that salmon or let their DNA taste those foods, you know, to to spark that ancestral memory and ancestral wisdom. And then we play traditional games and we have equine therapy, you know, the horse medicine there. And we do most of the activities outside so they can feel that healing, you know, energy from our earth and the cultural culture sharing night, you know, where these young people take healthy risks to get up there and share a song or dance or story. And what, what that is about is young people inspiring each other. And so we hear like, like one year, this group, they didn't go up there at all because they thought they didn't have anything to share, but they made a commitment. By the next year, we're going to go up there and we're going to learn a song and we're going to learn a dance. And they come back and they do that. Like that's the whole purpose of that night, you know, is for the young people to inspire each other. And so talk a little bit more about that approach. It's much different than another approach that is maybe more clinical and that this isn't something that you can really, you know, you can measure. But we see healing. It's, It's providing, like what you say, a space, a facility, and we're providing tools and so talk a little bit about just this importance that NWI has really made with, with really providing the tools and being hands-on and being flexible and not being stuck on this rigid agenda. Yeah, definitely. Well, and, and we see we always have a plan A, a plan B, a, yeah. you know, plan C, sometimes D, E, F. <laughs> um, but certainly, <laughs> certainly um, you know, clinical approaches are needed in our communities. But what we know, you know, without the research, um, we know that if you descend from an indigenous person, then 100% of us descend from people that have experienced um, historical and intergenerational trauma. So therefore we know that healing is the answer to trauma. So we're gonna integrate that in our approaches we know that our ancestors lived in balance because of the the way that they lived, right? The way that they ate, the way that they moved, the, their game. So like without the research, we already know that. And so that's what we integrate into our camps. We give ourselves permission to do that. We are the... Um, the PhDs, and my hands are in quotations right now, because we we do have academic PhDs at our camps, and then we have cultural PhDs at our camps, and then we have, um, what would you say, life experience PhDs at our camps. And so we know that if it worked for our ancestors, it can work for us. And so by doing all these, you know, 12 different rotations, giving them these experiences of, um, you know, cultural games, all, all that sort of stuff, that something may resonate with them, you know, as tools for them to take home. And it may not resonate with them like right away. It might be later on down the road, you know, oh, yeah, I remember that camp and this happened or I tried this and I really liked that or, you know, whatever. Is there anything that you do in your daily routine that you might recommend for our listener 
to try if they are having a low day or feel like they may be a little bit out of balance? Well, one one thing that I do twice a day or I try to do twice a day um, is meditate. So years ago, and I, I can't remember exactly how many years ago, but we were gifted uh, with that meditation. The Native Wellness Institute, our staff and our board went through this like week-long retreat and I hold my stress in my shoulders and I, you know, type on the computer or driving or beating, like my shoulders are like rocks. And um, so I get a lot of tension headaches, right, from that. And from this meditation, though, like I rarely get headaches, you know, like literally like a couple times a year I'll get headaches. And I used to take like, you know, medicine a lot for my headaches or whatever. Like I rarely, I like maybe again, once or twice a year, I'll take anything for a headache. So I think what meditation does for me, like I go into my little space, you know, all by myself, or sometimes we'll do a group meditation. Um, but I get to go in this place where I just like, I'm not thinking about anything. Um, and it just kind of like resets myself, rebalances myself. And I, and most, I try to do it, uh, twice a day. So that's something that I, um, that I do. But the other thing that helps me like literally every single day is focusing on gratitude. So that's, that's huge for me. Um, when I focus on gratitude, then it puts everything into perspective right? Everything in a perspective. So that's huge. When, when I was 50, when I turned 50, I did a gratitude journal. And so I wrote down every day um, things that I, I was grateful for. But even before that, you know, we integrate that into our family life, you know, like at our meals, you've experienced, we, uh, everyone at the table shares what they're grateful for. And it's interesting because the people that come to our house for dinner or whatever, and they experience that, and then later they go, we do that now at our house. Like, we we say what we're grateful for, and, you know, it's changed us, and, you know, so that's really cool to hear. But those are um, those are two big things that I do. And then the other one is, like, is water. Like, I that's pretty much all I drink is water. Like, that's my drink of choice, <laughs> and that helps. <laughs> So our listeners know that Thosh and I are new parents to a one-year-old. And um, I find it interesting that the Native Wellness Office is also a home. And it's not only your home, but it's a place that is always open to relatives and to gatherings and to those in need. And um, your children are all good friends of mine at this point. And so it's really fun to be here in this house. And um, I'm wondering... If you could describe what it's like to have a healthy, happy home, and if you could make the listener feel like it's possible. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. Well, the Native Wellness Institute was intentional about not having office spaces somewhere for several reasons. One, we wanted, um, you know, a low financial overhead. Two, we wanted to leave a small carbon footprint, you know, in society. And three, we wanted to be there for our children, especially, you know, being mainly females that work here. And so we intentionally set that um, in place. And so my home is the headquarters of the Native Wellness Institute. And even when we moved in here, um, I forgot how many years ago. (laughs) I'm horrible with years. But, you know... 
we we did what we needed to do to like um protect our home spiritually outside and inside and what we contribute to our home is just like that good positive energy and that's what people feel when they come here so people will come here and they'll say oh my gosh I've I slept the best here or you know I feel safe here or you know things like that and and people are welcome and you know a funny story we had a friend move into town for a job and she's like oh can I stay with you guys for a while I'm like yeah and then she ended up staying for like three years <laughs> and when people say oh, dang how long has she been there it's like I don't know but it was so funny because when she moved out she put a Facebook post about you know she's been living at the Native Wellness Institute and you know all of her own growth and all this good stuff and then people started commenting on her post like oh, I want to get in that program. You know, how do I do that? You know, it was like, it was just our house. <laughs> but it was funny. Um, and I think because we we live our cultural values um, and we instill that in our children, like it contributes to like just the good medicine that is in our home. And, you know, another thing about parenting is, you know, I talked about, that I was born with my voice and I was born to be positive. Um, and some, I really don't say this a lot. Now here I am on this blog saying this, but I never once disciplined my children. Uh, not once. And in, and I believe that I never had to because of the building blocks of the respect and all of that that I instilled with them. And so sometimes even like in high school, like – um, I would even try to encourage them to go do things that they didn't want to do. I mean, not bad things, but like even like, you know, going to school dances or whatever, stuff like that. So um, I, I say that because that is a possibility as well, right? And I, and I understand that, you know, our children are gifts from the creator and, and nowhere in a lifetime do we stop being a gift from the creator. It doesn't matter if we're zero or five or 50 or a hundred, right? Like nowhere in there do we ever stop being that gift. And that's how I treated my children as the gifts from the creator. And it was actually my children that helped me to quit my job and um, to even start this organization, right? So I could be there, be there for them and I could raise them and not have them raised in childcare. And um, so it definitely is a positive. And, it, and it's interesting because we've had, we've hosted you know, hundreds of gatherings and celebrations and parties in our home. And on, on two different occasions, one of our visitors told someone else who brought them into our home, like um, they said, is that family always like that? They must be fake. No one can be that nice. Mm -hmm. And we all kind of laughed when they shared that. Um, but when you really think about that, like that's sad that someone thinks that people can't be happy and nice, you know? Do you have a memory or a proud moment that really stands out for you in your career? Um, a couple days ago, so at the Wellness Warrior Camp and we're cooking in the kitchen and a colleague of mine who I've known probably for several decades, um, she was helping in the kitchen as well. And she said, she was, Jelena, I remember you, you know, breastfeeding your children, bringing them to the trainings, having them in your cradle board, and your other kids are around them sitting there. She said, and now look, 
<laughs> Sorry. She said, and now look, your kids are here and they're, they're out there helping, you know, you don't have to like be the facilitators or do that. You're back here cooking and your kids are carrying on. She said, what a legacy. Like, that's what she told me. So that's like the most recent one that is a professional highlight. And, um, but it is why we do this work and all these young people that are sitting around this table right now and their involvement and however this work impacts them. Regardless if they continue being involved with the Native Wellness Institute or not, they're going to take these teachings and whatever arena they end up in, they're going to they're going to take those teachings with them. Like that's what this work is about. We have to we have to be everywhere in every arena to so our people understand again the unhealthy behaviors, tie it to the trauma, understand that healing is the answer to trauma, and then help to facilitate with themselves, with their families, with their communities with their agencies, with their tribes, with systems. And that's what this work is about. And so we hope that you're able to take away something good from that conversation. There's lots of great information in there regarding the history of this Native wellness movement and just great teachings and stories and all around in general. So hopefully you found something in that that really just stuck with you. So thank you for listening. And again, the Native Wellness Institute is a nonprofit and has been doing wellness work in Native country for a long time. And you can find more information at their website, nativewellness.com. You can also follow on Facebook. They're very active. Also on Instagram as well. <laughs>